This is All the Right Marketing, a publishing podcast by Cardinal Rule Press. Now, here's your host, Maria Desmondi. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to All the Right Marketing, where we talk with business owners and industry leaders about marketing their programs and products. For those of you who have been tuning in, our podcast has been around for about a year now, and you know that we talk to people in the book industry, authors, publishers, librarians, booksellers. And today we have a wonderful guest who I have to tell you, I'm really excited to talk to, Nancy Bo Flood, who earned her PhD in experimental psychology in child development at the University of Minnesota and has authored a variety of award-winning books, including a handbook for counseling children and I Will Dance, which is based on the real story of Eva, a child born with cerebral palsy. Now, Nancy has lived on the Pacific Island of Saipan, where she worked with teachers and parents to create resources and programs for students with disabilities. And for the past 20 years, she has taught on the Navajo Nation and co-founded an early literacy nonprofit called Read at Home, which encourages parents to read regularly with their children. I want to hear more about that. Her books have been recognized with a variety of national and international honors, but as Nancy always states, the best reward is when a child glances at me while reading one of my books and proudly says, I am in this book. We need more of your books, Nancy's. Welcome today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here. This is a delight. I mean, that is exactly what Cardinal Rule Press, our company, is out to do, is to provide those mirrors and windows for children. Um, and we've been doing that for the last decade now. And so we, we love speaking with creatives like yourself. Well, it's so, it's so important because every child really does need to be able to see themselves in books. You know, and um, many don't. Exactly. And, you know, when we talk to people, um, creative individuals, uh, we talk to people like yourself who have ideas and write and create, but you have this other side of your brain that um, I was super interested in when I read it. You have not always been a professional writer, but you started off your professional career working with fish as a... As a... Um... Brain surgeon, yes. That's... <laughs> Can you please tell me more about this? I did not know that fish had brain surgeons. <laughs> and they probably prefer not to, actually. <laughs> but um, so what I was looking at at the um, University of Minnesota, what the research I was doing was uh, looking at uh, the importance of the role of motivation and memory in, ter in, in terms of learning. I think both of those we kind of take for granted, especially motivation, that we think, oh yeah, everybody wants to learn, but no, that's not the case, especially in different types of mental illness. For example, depression, you know, it takes away a lot of motivation. And the other part of learning uh, is obviously we have to have memory, short-term and long-term memory. So the reason for fish, <laughs> fish actually can learn some, you know, pretty tricky tasks like getting through a maze to be able to get to food. That's the you know, most basic. And uh, But what fish don't have is they don't have that cortex, that outer layer that is our very much thinking, you know, thinking uh, layer, uh, information processing layer. But um, they do have the midbrain. And the midbrain 
is is that amygdala and that hippocampus are you know those words have become certainly more popular so what i could do as a brain surgeon is uh is ablate or or um i mean uh, damage uh, a little part of the amygdala or the hippocampus to see how that affected motivation and memory which and see how that affected learning i didn't have to worry then about uh, the cortex because there was no cortex um, so um, this that kind of a, a, uh, experiment really can help us see what's going on in the brain in terms of the, what's important to learning so again i mean you can see that right away you know what about kids learning? You know, what about kids who have um, who are neurodiverse or who, who have brain trauma, or have uh, different types of uh, mental challenges or emotional challenges? So you took how many years were you working in this field? Oh, I was working. At, I was at the University of Minnesota um, almost four years, and then I was at um, London University for a year doing some postdoctoral research, um, and then I was. Um, uh, doing uh, writing about the area and talking about the area and slowly was shifting from doing research uh, to actually working as a because I also um, was uh, had my credentials as a counselor for children and families so I um, found that that's where my heart was going <laughs> and then it, it I really was so impressed with the importance of story so this so what an amazing connection because the, so as a then as a, a, a reader of stories but watching children work through uh, challenges mental challenge uh, emotional challenges is that they would create stories and, and tell them over and over again as this process of trying to understand what's happened to them and I, I, I want to say like uh, one phrase is one story is worth a thousand statistics that mm -hmm. when we're touched when our heart is touched we remember the story just like if it's new information and it's meaningful to us uh, we have an emotional connection uh, we have an experiential connection then we remember when it has no meaning or no emotion it just we you know we study for the test to take the test and it's forgotten. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. And you know, it's, that's why I've always been as a parent. So I'm taking myself out of this role of publisher and author, but as a parent, I've always been drawn to books that tell a story about a, a harder topic or a more challenging topic so that my children can hear about it in third person and they can kind of see how the character experiences the emotions and the feelings let's say around the death of a loved one or something. So then they can kind of see it through the eyes of someone else and have that conversation. We've got the battle of the sunshine right now. Yes. I'm going to put down the shade. So excuse me. I love it. She's yeah. in Colorado. I'm in Michigan. We're not complaining, but I do really enjoy how your, um, your career really evolved from you know, scientifically looking at the brain, and then it went into children and families, and and then it evolved into taking what you learned from both of those areas and putting them into books. So let's go into um, talking about the books that you've written, and um, one of them is actually about fish, correct? Did you write a book about? No, hold on. No. <laughs> Water, water, that's close. <laughs> okay, tell me about that book. Tell me about one of your first books and how that happened. 
Well, one of my first, well, uh, it's a nonfiction about water and the uh, tremendous importance of water. And again, it's interesting what, what um, something I, something different about it is that uh, I told stories about uh, water, a couple of stories. One is that, um, you know, there's statistics about how many women and children, especially girls, have to walk for water every day. But, um, there, you know, Walking for water is um, when you when you hear that one child is walking every day um, back and forth, and that's her whole life walking for water for her family so they can stay alive. That there's no school, there's no um, rest, there's no playing soccer, there's no no none of that, right? Um, because they need that essential water. And I'm looking. What is the title of that story? Um, that, that you're discussing right now. Oh, uh, water runs through this book. Water runs okay. through this book, yes. And, um, and, then, and then I tell the story at the very end that uh, because for me that trying to um, communicate in an emotional way as well as in you know, facts and figures way to children about the importance of water is that, uh, is to, again, tell stories about it. That when we cry, our tears, that in our tears, it's a way of washing our helping our body heal from emotion from sadness or from stress that there's this high level of magnesium and we're washing out we're cleansing ourselves of the trauma oh, that's beautiful beautiful story about that that the navajo have that um the earth fell in love with the sky and the sky fell in love with the earth and they were so happy that they rained down water <laughs> oh my goodness that's beautiful and you you know so much about um this this area around being a child psychologist and counselor, you know, about grief and about trauma. And I know you had a book um, called Walking Grandma Home that kind of discusses those feelings. Can you tell me a little bit about your inspiration for that story? Oh, yes. Um, so Walking Grandma Home, which is coming out uh, in just a couple of months, and um, it, um, it, it, in a way, it's kind of, I want to say bookends, because when I was seven, um, my sister died and my sister was only five. And so that was my first experience, certainly of, of, of deep grieving. And I experienced the kinds of things of like, one is uh, so difficult to, to talk with family because family doesn't want to talk about such a hard loss, especially my mom and dad, and realizing that for time being, I had also lost them emotionally. Um, but also there was a lot of guilt and shame uh, and, and typically, I mean, very the normal response of every, all of us, but e including children, is if when something bad happens, that partly I'm to blame. Okay, so here's a seven-year-old at school. My sister was hit by a car while crossing the street, but I blamed myself. I blamed myself that I had I had been mean to her the night before. Um, I was so mad at her, and um, I wanted her to go away. You know, and, mm. you know, so many emotions around that. So many shame and guilt and um, sadness, but also maybe even anger. And children have a hard time understanding that response too to grieving. That and they say, "Why did mom die?" I you know that's that was unfair of her to do that to to do this to me. So all those feelings and um, what I found, uh, continue to find about them. The wonderful thing about books, like you were just saying, it puts the subject a little bit distance so that we can hear a bit more. Like let's say the, the uh, A Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson. 
you know, and there's um, somebody loses a good friend. And in that book, too, you know, there's there's blame and uh, shame and anger, all of those things. Um, one of my favorite books is uh, Charlotte's Web for dealing with um, this, you know, Charlotte has to die. And um, Wilbur's mad about that. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. So it, it begins that conversation. And that's where I think the real, the power of story is, is that um, we're, we're talking about, about another human being, another situation, but similar to, to mine. So I'm not the only one. Oh, I thought I was the only one that ever mm -hmm. felt that way. And that's particularly too with any kind of mental illness. Like, but also um, we can talk about that person. We can talk about Charlotte and how she felt. And I don't have to risk and, you know, talking about my own feelings, my own heart, because that's too vulnerable. Absolutely. And so you spoke both about grief, feelings, um, the mental aspect, but then the physical aspect, too, in your story that came out um, in 2020, I Will Dance. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration. This is the story with a, a young child with cerebral palsy, correct? So the inspiration was watching uh, a dance company in uh, Minneapolis, I Will Dan uh, Young Dance. Um, uh, my, my family was partly involved with that, which is how I got introduced to it. But dance has been part of our, our family. So um, and it was, it's in all abilities, all ages, which I had never seen before. Uh, I've certainly seen, you know, dance where you know, there's wheelchair dance, you know, but uh, it's not... Um, all abilities and in this dance company it is all abilities in all ages and and uh, when I watched them practice and watch them perform I thought oh you know I'm gonna feel sad I'm gonna be feel sad for these young the young people or the older people that are um, need a wheelchair in order to be mobile but instead it was like the, it was beautiful and it was joyful and to see the joy on the um, the faces you know the, the of of the dancers, I was so moved, and so I asked if they would like to have a story written about them because everybody needs to know this. And what I learned from them, like you always end up learning more than you give, right? What I learned from them that to me is so powerful is one is um, not only does everybody have, of course, have dreams and wishes and goals, but and we don't want it to be limited. We don't want anybody to limit limit us. So even here is this young girl who uh, could, you know, can not even fully move her face, but and uh, only her upper or lower arms. But how is she going to dance? But no, uh, here she's determined to do that. Uh, and what she's also looking for is not only being able to fulfill what you know her passion is, but a community in which to do it. So it's not being like okay, separate. Okay, now we will see those with disabilities dance. No, it's part of this very community of dance, of the dance world, the dance community, and to be part of that community. So, and the third thing I learned was um, my disability does not define me. I am first me, right? It's Ava. And then, yes, it's Ava with the cerebral palsy, but I'm not cerebral palsy. I'm Ava. Oh, wow. You hit the nail on the head with that one. I am not. Cerebral palsy. I am Ava. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So what next? What are, what are you up to now? You are a busy woman. You've had a very busy career. Tell me what you're working on now. 
Well, I'm working on a couple a couple of things, of course. Um, on the fun side, I'm working on, um, uh, of all things, a bird book. But it's a bird book that celebrates spring, celebrates song, celebrates um, the uh, taking care of our environment. Um, and just every new day, there's new, the, the coming of dawn. I'm I'm writing a book about tropical trees. How's that? <laughs> How is that? And now I know a lot of our listeners are going to want to have this question answered. Do you work with an agent or are you um, submitting these to different um, publishing houses that you already have worked with? Uh, mostly agent. I okay. didn't actually have an agent though till, oh, I don't know now. It's probably been uh, close to 10 years. Yes. Uh, but the publishing world has gotten so complicated and so many doors have been closed to open submissions, right? Yeah, that's true. I do poetry and um, uh, uh, so m my agent doesn't um, agents poetry. So, you know, I'll do that on my own. Uh, I'm work I've uh, been working on a Vietnam not his historical novel and um, also uh, he doesn't want to handle that particular work. So it's it's a combination, but mostly through agents, yes. Wonderful. Well, this has been a lovely experience talking to you and hearing about the evolution of your career and how it went from one end of brain surgeon for fish <laughs> all the way to helping children and families to love who they are and to know who they are um, and not to be defined by the exterior, but really the interior. Thank you so much for having um, the time to speak with us, Nancy. We appreciate you. And for those of you listening, please know that each Tuesday we come out with a new interview speaking with someone in the book industry about how they get their messages into the world. Thank you, everyone. Cardinal Rule Press offers a variety of support to authors, booksellers, librarians, and families. Find out more at cardinalrulepress.com.